This week on Mash and Sackcloth, Zack and Scott debate on whether or not you can kill Santa Claus. You can't shoot old Saint Nick. You can too. The whole movie, the whole movie, Tim Allen Santa Claus is about killing Saint Nick and then taking his spot. Welcome back to Rotten and Righteous. Nope, that's not what we call this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Mash and Sackcloth, a Rotten and Righteous joint. The only podcast that accidentally took a week off last week, and it was our highest rated episode ever. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. <laughs> Ratings are through the roof. <laughs> With me today, as always, he's Scott. Frank's uncle. He's Just call Frank's me uncle. uncle. Call me Uncle Ferret Face. He was the actress in the picture of Frank's uh, in Frank's silver fi- silver uh, picture frame. You know, the one of his mom. He yeah. played the mom. He's Scott Judge. Uh, Hello, everyone. And me, I'm. Sorry, we're back. I'm Zach Geiler. <laughs> Loyal listeners will know that. Uh, no, I quit Monster about a month ago, and then I drank some of my wife's Modair ghost stuff, but then I drank all of that, and I'm not ordering more of that stuff because I'm not a hippie. And so uh, I, I went back to coffee, and one thing I got to help me with my, my coffee intake was a brand new Stanley thermos you know mm-hmm. one of those one of those good ones mm-hmm. one of those one of those like 25 30 dollar joints mm-hmm. and it's been great don't get me wrong I love it it keeps my coffee warm it's really fun because I'll put coffee in it in the morning and then drink out of it all day and any coffee left over when I pour it out the next morning is still hot which wow. is which is pretty nice but uh thermos on, on the outside of it, Stanley's been around apparently since 1913. Mm-hmm. And um, on the outside of it, it, it told a story uh, that I didn't notice until after I bought it. And it said something along the lines of, one time in New England, a hotel exploded, and the only thing that survived was a Stanley thermos. Mm. To which, which, which I thought was, that was a weird flex. You know, mm-hmm. very weird. Hun- hundreds of people died, but if you wanted some coffee, the thermos survived. <laughs> but I did go to Stanley's website, and uh, I found some stories. That's called Stories of the Unbreakables, mm-hmm. the people that define Stanleyness. Now, I understand Stanley's been around for a long time. When I hear the word Stanley, I don't go. That guy's tough. <laughs> Yeah, that's really not the first thing that comes to mind, is it? Have you ever met a really tough Stanley? <sighs> no, but I've never fought one, so... I mean, they, they, possibly they're out there. Wasn't there a comedian, Stanley? Who am I there thinking was of? A, there was like a, a kid's project in school called Flat Stanley. Flat where Stanley? Where you sent a, a flat paper man around the world. Uh-huh. There I was Stanley. Was Stan. There's a Stanley from the... No, Stans. You don't mess with Stans. Stans will kill you. This but anybody Stan. That, anybody that goes by the proper Stanley. Just saying. You heard it here, wonder, folks. Scott will fight any Stanley. They're Bruce Lee's relation. In bare-knuckle boxing, Scott will do this, guaranteed. Yes, yes. He will fight any Stanley. Yes. Don't worry, he may look like Butterbean, but he's mostly just butter. That's true. I may look like <laughs> Butterbean, but I don't fight a thing like him. 
<laughs> and I'll tell you all something else if you want to come after me. I'm big, but I'm slow. Let me let me read you some of these Stanley stories. Okay. Since bottle innovator William Stanley introduced the first all-steel vacuum bottle in 1913, the name Stanley has come to mean a trusted and reliable friend to generations. Our bottles are made for life and for a lifetime. And when we say lifetime, we ain't fooling. We've got a Stanley vacuum bottle here at HQ that was run over by a truck years by a truck years decades ago. That's that's what this professional website actually says. We have a vacuum bottle here at the HQ that was run over by a truck years decades ago. <laughs> And still has coffee in it. Ew. Ew. Not a single leak. <laughs> Take the coffee out. What's wrong with you? Hey, you know, and if you think about it, um, invented in 1913, those people that would have first gotten them, they would have kept them forever. Because it was so, I mean, you just, you didn't get a lot of things. You were poor. Now they're dead. See what saving stuff got to you? That's because they died anyway. <laughs> Were they I'm looking up their... famous Stanleys, and so far the most famous one I've seen is some guy with the last name of S- Steamer. Stan- Stanley Steamer. You're an idiot. <laughs> when you get to be 100 years old <laughs> and you make bottles as tough and beloved as ours, you hear some fantastic stories about people who use our products. We've heard so many over the years that we coined a word for it. Stanliness. So, like, Stanliness is next to godliness? Maybe. How messed up Zach, would that I'm, be? I'm looking down these Stanleys, and I know none of them. You know Stanley Kubrick. He faked the moon landing. Stanliness. It's more than just having an old bottle kicking around that you break out for a sip now and then. It's a way of life. Oh, I did not realize I was getting to this kind of commitment when I bought this thermos. And the people who cherish our bottles like a member of the family, I don't. I left one in my office for about six months that I forgot about. I threw that away. I wasn't even about to touch that. You know what? In a landfill somewhere, there's a Stanley thermos filled with coffee. Not a single leak. (laughs) It could be some hundred years later, somebody will open that up and take a swig. That person is you an know, idiot. Your, uh, your, your thermos, you may be able to pass down for generations. This first Stanley story is from the uh, wonderfully named Mohammed Adam bin Mohammed Yaqub. Gesundheit. You're welcome. Uh, it was 1.30 a.m. The temperature had been freezing for most of the night. I put on my jacket and long johns. Well, did he put them on in that order? Because that doesn't make any sense. Why would you put your <laughs> jacket on and then your long johns? And your long johns. I, I don't know. This man who does not know how to put long johns on, because he put his jacket on and then his long johns, headed out to the camp pantry with my Stanley Outdoor Vacuum Bottle, TM. Honestly, it was the first time I ever tried using it. I poured a few packets of coffee and sugar, added boiling water, locked it up tight, and placed it in my bag and got ready for the hike to the summit at 2.30 a.m. By the time we were on the mountain, pretty much everything, I froze. He's just as good at writing as the people of Stanley. Mm -hmm. The water, the warm water I brought in a separate non-Stanley bottle was ice cold halfway up. So I had my doubts as to whether my Stanley bottle filled with hot coffee I made earlier could withstand the mountain or what the mountain had to offer. My team reached the summit at approximately 6 a.m. By that time, the sun was almost up and the temperature was at freezing point. We snapped a few pictures, and I finally took out my Stanley bottle and shared a cup with my buddy, and I dare say the coffee was still boiling hot. Instant coffee never tasted as good as it did, 13,435 feet up in the sky. My Stanley bottle has proven its worth, no doubt. My mother bought me my Stanley thermos in 1979. You hear that sound? 
listeners, mm-hmm. that was the sound of boiling hot coffee being poured on the summit of Mount. Who gives a crap? <laughs> Yummy. Uh, she bought me my Stanley when I joined the pump plumbing trade. I was working in Maryland years ago, and the hotel I was staying had a freak gas explosion. Here it is. Here's the gas explosion story. I did find it. Okay. Staying at had a freak gas explosion and burnt down to the ground. I was not there at the time, but all my belongings were my bed, my house, my wife, my dog. I lost everything I had on me there. Why would you leave all your belongings at the hotel? <laughs> you were worried. You're a bad plumber. Because you're a plumber and you leave your wife and dog at the hotel? That no, don't make no sense. I made that up, but he oh. said that he left all of his belongings. Who, who oh. brings... I, okay, I, look, I, I, will, I, I worked at the trade service for a few years as a parts runner for an HVAC company. Never mm-hmm. once did I bring all of my belongings with me to work. That seems pretty Where dumb. Yeah. Seems pretty dumb. I lost everything I had on me there. After the fire was put out and the rubble sifted through... The only thing left standing, basically untouched, was my Stanley Thermos. I didn't have tools to do my job or money, but I had coffee. <laughs> <laughs> and that was it. We were going to eat for eat or drink for months. I've used that thermos every day since. It's not green anymore. What happens to the what happened to the green? I don't know. That's so weird. I don't like this. <laughs> it's not green anymore. Is yours, what color is yours? Is it silver? No. Is it Dude, green? I went old school. Oh, wow. It's school. green. Yeah. It's not green anymore. It has a few dents, but it still keeps my coffee piping hot all day, every day. I use it at work when I bring all of my possessions to the, <laughs> to the job site. <laughs> and when I'm hunting or fishing. It's very seldom not with me. Join the workforce with me. It's going to retire with me. Oh, this will be fun. This one's called a 1,600-foot bounce. Mm. In 1978, I worked in an underground mine. While waiting to go down to working level, my Stanley was knocked from my hands and rolled into the shaft. I wrote it off, but later that day when checking the sump pumps, ew, I found it floating in the sump. Oh mm. no! I'm gonna I'm gonna vomit! Mm. I'm gonna vomit! I'm gonna vomit! Listen, in. it was banged up from falling 1,600 feet. The cup was missing, but otherwise completely solid. I'm still using the same thermos to this day. Monty L. Monty. Monty. No, Monty. If no. you're listening, please contact us. We will buy you a new Stanley. I'm sorry. I don't care how indestructible or airtight anything is. If it's in a sub pump, that's where it lives now. It doesn't come... Mm. I'm not taking it out. <laughs> Mm-mm-mm. Oh, I'm a, that was that great. next cup tasted a little extra special. A little nutty. <laughs> <laughs> My Stanley Classic Bottle has endured 10 years of extreme abuse. It's not funny, but I is can just physical, imagine. Can you emotional? imagine? Like, can you imagine like a Stanley bottle answering the door? And they got those big glasses on to cover up black mm-hmm. eyes. They're like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. My, my Stanley Classic bottle has endured ten years of extreme abuse across the U.S., Mexico, Central America, Chile, and Peru. While it is now officially the ugliest thermal bottle on the planet. It works like the day it was purchased. It's a badge of its badge of honor is a bullet graze obtained on a construction site in Guatemala during a robbery attempt. I plan to be buried with Stanley. Not the cup, just this guy I know. Dave <laughs> Marino. <laughs> oh, shoot. So are you gonna put yours through any kind of tasks? I mean, do you do you plan on yeah. putting it out in the parking lot and running over it with your truck? Or here's the test I'm going to put my Stanley st- thermos through. The yeah. can you I remember to bring? Work. Can I remember to bring it home? Test. Mm. As long as I do that, I'm just going to stick around. All right, one more Stanley versus an 18 wheeler. This is short and sweet. 
she holds up a fun-sized Snickers bar. What? She... <laughs> Someone did like a Halloween sized candy bar or mm-hmm. <laughs> They just hold it up and go, This is short and sweet. <laughs> this is short and sweet. My husband unknowingly dropped his thermos under his truck. He then rolled over it with all 18 wheels. Hold on. How's that? Would he back up? We <laughs> hit the other side now. <laughs> I think I ran over my thermos. I I better better back up and line it up and get it with the other 18 wheels. (laughs) He then rolled over it with all 18 wheels loaded at 80,000 pounds. Um, That's right. When he noticed it was gone, this explained it. When he noticed his thermos was gone, he backed up to find it rolling over it again. Okay. Ah, uh, okay. So he did back. I was being a smart aleck going, oh, did he back up? Yeah, he did. Yes, he did, because he's, he's an idiot. You I mean, he couldn't just get out and walk the 16 feet to the back of the trailer and uh, go get it. Uh, when he got out of the truck, he pulled out the thermos, which only had minor scratches on it. And he poured out a steaming hot cup of coffee that had been there for at least eight hours. Hold on. What? Now I'm back to being confused. Mm-hmm. So he rolled over it once. He only moved his truck a little bit for eight hours. This that don't truck... make no sense. I'm just, I still will never, ever, 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 ever forget about Monty L's sub pump thermos that he's, he's mm. drinking from. Mm-mm-mm. That has got to be one of the most disgusting things I have ever read in my entire life. So I just wonder if you took a lighter to yours and just held it at one place on the green if it would even begin to tinge a little. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, what you heard was the sound of Zach Stanley shattering. No, I did think about that, though. Like, what happens if it landed on the plat? I, I just threw my Stanley, for those of you who didn't know. And I, and I was, I, I had a moment of fear going, I bet it's going to land on the plastic cap and break, and I'll be the only person in Stanley history to have all of their coffee spill all over their office because they're an idiot. And? Amen. Okay. Let's, you guys all showed up here for a reason. And I'm waiting to hear what that is. But. (laughs) Tastes like coffee. Tastes like Stanley. Every every drink you should go. Stanley. We're here to talk about MASH. If you don't know what MASH is, why are you listening to this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Come to think of it. If you do know what match is, why are you listening to this podcast? <laughs> Either way, this episode is called Germ Warfare. And I think this is going to be pretty intense. Pretty intense episode, Germ Warfare. Lots of people think. are going to run the risk of dying. But it's not. <laughs> this not at all. Originally aired on December 10th, 1972. So, it was almost time for my second Christmas sack. It's cute. I was. It's almost time for my negative 19th Christmas, Scott. (laughs) That's not true. Hey, guys, this episode begins with a shocking twist Hawkeye and Frank Burns are having an argument in post op. No. Yeah. Hey, by the way, if I call um, if I call Henry Frank this this entire episode, could you please stop me? Because it was a big pain in the butt to go back and and fix that. <laughs> I'm sure it was because you may have called him Harry uh, or Henry like twice that whole one episode. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I so know. if I do that, go ahead, go ahead and correct me, Scott. I know you noticed okay. it. So, oh, I did. <laughs> I know you did. 
Hawkeye and Frank Burns are having an argument in post-op. You see, there's this Korean, North Korean, I should be. There's more than one Korea right now. Uh, this North Korean POW there that, that, that got a little boo-boo, and uh, Hawkeye had to patch him back up. And Frank's like, hey, let's get this North Korean bad guy out of our mash and in to the POW camp. Because the 4077th is, is short on beds. But Hawkeye disagrees, saying, listen, this North Korean is the most important patient I've ever had in my entire life. And I'm going to do everything I can to make your life miserable, Frank. So I'm going to keep him here. So Hawkeye takes the the argument to Henry. Yes. Commanding <laughs> but, uh, officer. Henry's forced to agree to Frank. Or agree with Frank. Because they need the bed space. And not only that, the, this POW has the gall to have AB negative blood. The rarest <clears throat> of all blood. On the North Korean? What's Hawkeye crazy? They gotta get him out of here. But Hawkeye... He does. Hawkeye's like, listen, bud. He won't take up any bed space. Just give me 24 hours. And Henry's like, okay. And Hawkeye moves this North Korean to his bed. Which is... Pretty nice of him. Hawkeye... Trapper and Hojon move the North Korean to Hawkeye's cot in the swamp. Meanwhile, Radar is sent to hunt for a supply of AB-negative blood. Radar just so happens to have a list of all the camp personnel and their blood types in his back pocket because he's a creepy little man. (laughs) And it turns out that the only person in the camp with matching AB blood is Father Mulcahy who gives it without question because he just wants to save another soul. End of episode. Yep. That was I'm a good kidding. one. I'm just kidding. It's Frank. It's Frank. It's Frank. Frank's AB. That night, while Frank is asleep, Hawkeye and Trapper insert a needle into his arm and steal a pint of his blood. I quit. I'm done. <laughs> I don't. Steel. I don't want it. It's such a strong I word. I mean, they removed his bodily fluids without his knowing consent. And how do you sleep through that? You've had blood taken before. I mean, I've been in a like, hospital before. Uh, I've been like taking like my this? blood at four a.m. Like in the morning. I always wake up. Oh, I should also point out that in this scene, uh, Hawkeye also sexually harasses Frank by pretending to be Margaret Hotlips Houlihan and giving him a kiss on the cheek. So. Yeah, we could have went without that. It was all fun and games till the smooch game. It was still fun and games. It was still pretty... I, I, I was less bothered by that than I was the blood stealing. The blood? The bloodletting. All Frank knows, and it all goes well to get the blood, and all Frank knows is that he had a weird dream about being a juice box and having a straw stick in him. (laughs) That was funny. (sighs) Sometime later, however, the P.O.Dub, or the (laughs) P.O.Dub. P.O.Dub. The P.O.W. develops all the signs of hepatitis. Uh Uh-oh. And Hawkeye and Trapper are concerned that Frank might have hepatitis and then gave it to the POW. So they need to do some Frank tests on Frank. But how? Oh, no. You can't get more blood. But they Can already you have a, tell him? They already have a bit of Frank's blood, but now they need a urine sample. So they did the mature set thing and said, hey, Frank, uh, we stole your blood, bud. Sorry about that. My bad. But you probably have a hepatitis. So can you please pee in this cup? No. And Frank does, and they get it tested, and everything's fine. The end of the episode. The 
the mature thing. I'm just kidding. They're <laughs> gonna they're gonna uh, uh, trick Frank into thinking that the the officers' latrines are closed and that he has to go pee in a in a pup tent in the middle <laughs> of the camp and into a bucket. In Why? A bucket. Well, I don't know. Why didn't Frank stop and go, hey, guys, we're in the middle of Korea. I'm just going to go behind that bush. I'm not going to pee in a bucket. What is wrong with you? And why Why would that be sanitary? I mean, who knows what that bucket's been used for? For all we, for all we know, scrap flash has been thrown into that bucket in the OR. And it doesn't matter. What's even more concerning is after they get the bucket of pee, they leave the pee in the bucket. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you pour it into a urine sample test or, or cup? Wouldn't that have been smarter than handing an open bucket into the back of a very bouncy Jeep saying, hey, get this to soul quick and don't you spill a single drop? <laughs> I watched that whole scene going, this is so dumb. And Why so while, while this is going off to being tested, now they've got a new problem. They got to keep Frank and Margaret from canoodling. Mm-mm-mm. Mm. How do you do that? I mean, there's love and there is love. So they try for a while love. and they're successful for a minute. But in the end, you can't keep those two, two crazy lovebirds apart. And uh, they just have to tell Frank... You probably got hepatitis. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but Frank's like, oh, I'm I'm not concerned about that. I've got no hep, hepatitis, and he's gonna go and perform surgery. But Hawkeye's like, no, you can't perform surgery, you dirty, dirty boy. And he handcuffs Frank to Margaret to stop them from going into post op. <laughs> With the with the surgical garb, they wrap it from his arms. Stanley, Stanley. (laughs) (sighs) But they were trying to keep the two apart. So the best way to do this is by binding them together. I guess that's so dumb. But then Henry comes in and he's like, "Hey, why is one of my doctors handcuffed to a nurse?" And just when Henry asks that, Frank's tests come back. And Frank does not have hepatitis, but he does have anemia. Anemia. For those How of you do don't I know, have anemia? For those of you that don't know, anemia is where Nemo lives in the yes. show, show, movie Finding Nemo. He lives in an anemia. Anemia. Anemia means you don't got enough blood. Your blood's been... Punctured. You've been turned into a su- surprise juice box. Low blood count. I'm anemic. Do you suppose somebody's uh, been siphoning my blood each night? so weird. I thought you were a Christian. I am. I'm an anemic <laughs> Christian. <laughs> After a long shift in the OR, Hawkeye and Trapper return to the swamp to find Frank playing checkers with the POW. He wasn't able to operate because he was recuperating from his anemia. Hawkeye and Trapper offer Frank a bouquet of daisies as an apology for stealing his blood. And Frank forgives them because he has a new North Korean friend. And then they ask him to donate to a heart transplant. They ask Frank if he would be willing to donate to a heart transplant. And Frank throws the flowers back at them. The end. The end. And all the time, Colonel Blake is so oblivious. This This is... One of my favorite parts of the show is when he has no clue what's going on, and Raider's like, I'll tell you about it later, sir. Hey, this is the last episode to feature a lot of beloved characters, Scott. Mm Mm-hmm. In this episode, it's the last one that we see Mr. Chucker Jones... Mm-hmm. 
and it's the last episode to feature Lieutenant Dish, and the last episode to feature Boone. Now, I can tell you that I know who Mr. Jones is, and I know who Lieutenant Ditch Dish is, but gun to my head, if you said point out Lieutenant Boone to me, I would look at you and say, uh-huh. Who is Lieutenant Boone? I don't know. Lieutenant Boone. Must have not been that important. He's not in the synopsis. Is she a man or is he a woman? I don't uh, know. Private Lorenzo Bloom, Bloom Boone. Scott, can you believe that this episode, though, has an anachronism? It does. Yeah. The beer can used in Henry's office and in the swamp had to be opened with a church key. These are appropriate to the time period. However, the shapes look a bit modern. Beer cans of this era were not made from aluminum and had flat bottoms. Hmm. Just like the girls. You're an idiot. Flat bottom girls. <laughs> I hate you. Yep, I'm just going to leave that in your maniacal laughter. That's our transition to the next episode. <laughs> Flat bottom girls, they make the mash units go round. Okay, here we go. Episode 12. It's titled Dear Dad. Dear Dad. And it was originally aired on December 17th, 1972. It's the Christmas episode. It's a good episode, too. It's one of my favorites. Hawkeye writes in a letter to his dad, If war was hell in Sherman's day, you can imagine what it is now. And the laugh track just goes crazy. <laughs> With a Christmas lull, Finally, lol, with a Christmas lull finally taking hold after 70 hours of sewing kids together, mm. Hawkeye relaxes with a drink in the swamp and begins writing a letter home to his dear old daddy. And he tells his pops all about all the, all the kooky characters he works with. He starts with Henry, whom he calls a good doctor and a pretty good Joe. And Henry goes, that's not my name. <laughs> it's Blake. But he then compares his abilities as a CEO to being on a uh, sinking liner, running to the bridge and finding out that the captain is Daffy Duck. Here, Hawkeye, you're so mean. <laughs> Why? Hmm. <laughs> To explain how Henry is basically a cartooned uh, duck, he tells about how Henry reluctantly gave a recent monthly lecture on the topic of being, or the topic being marital sex in the family, which wasn't helped much by Hawkeye and Trapper's heckling and poor Radar, who really wanted to learn how this whole thing worked, not getting any information because of these two doctors. Radar is just on the edge of his seat, really to take all this in, and Hawkeye, I'll never forgive him. They're just being buffoons. It the was thing so is, Radar's funny. when Radar's married, he never actually has marital relations with his wife because he always he thinks, missed this lecture. He thought sex was holding hands. Yeah, if he'd have received this lecture, think of how much we, better things would have been. Yeah, we would have had three or four more Radars. I know. Next, Hawkeye mentions Radar's a filthy thief. He's like, speaking of Radar, he doesn't know what sex is and he steals stuff. But not small stuff. Not minuscule stuff. No, he is he is sending home a Jeep piece by piece. <laughs> Do you suppose it's ever been done? I don't know. 
Hawkeye quips that once Radar's mailman back home finds out that he actually delivered an entire Jeep, he'll have a, ra- a retroactive hernia. He then gives an update on his idolatrous pal, Trapper John, who has taken a shine to the refugee kids. No, not like that. But uh, he's given them vaccinations in the mess tent. And the kids love him for that, which makes no sense. With all due respect, I understand vaccinations save lives, but that doesn't mean I want to go give my doctor a handshake after having, oh, you're my favorite. Poke me again. Uh, It was all for a lollipop. Um, Yeah, and uh, he also makes himself a hero to locals when he birthed a cow. And uh, for that, that heroic effort, he was given a gallon of mother's milk. Okay, then writes about Father Mulcahy, which is one of the most disturbing things I have seen in this show so far. To the point where the fact that Klinger didn't get home in a, with a Section 8 is absolutely baffling to me. Mm-hmm. Because all Cowboy did was try to push Henry out of a helicopter and he was sent home. He didn't do what Klinger's about to do. Hawkeye then writes about Father Mulcahy, who has been attempting to decorating the, or decorate the camp using popcorn strings because he's an idiot. Yeah, we're like a tell- popcorn string. Yeah, but I've never looked at a popcorn string and said, oh, how festive. This slightly off-white, puffy styrofoam pieces sure do get me in the mood for Christmas. Oh, oh, oh. Hey, watch your mouth. (laughs) Hawkeye then talks about Mulcahy's unenviable position at the 4077th. Tells about a recent incident in post-op during which Frank, citing Klinger being out of uniform, ordered him to take off a red bandana he was wearing around his neck. This is the only time I remember seeing Klinger in uniform. Mm Mm-hmm but he's going to be cited for that, not for the mini skirts he wears in every episode uh, in season two onward. So Frank's like, hey, give me that bandana. And, and Klinger's like, no, this is my lucky bandana, brah. I ain't giving it to you. And then Frank reaches for the uh, bandana, which startles Klinger, and he drops a specimen jar meant for the lab, and then Frank blames Klinger for breaking it. And now Frank must die. And Klinger snaps and begins beating the snot out of him and throwing him over beds with wounded soldiers still in them. (laughs) Hey, when he snapped, he snapped. There was no rational thinking. I don't care if that guy lost a leg. Suck it up. And this fight ends with Frank getting punched out by Klinger and an MP is nearby and Mulcahy quickly sends Klinger out because Mulcahy's a good guy he doesn't want to see Klinger thrown in the clink for punching out Frank because who doesn't want to punch Frank after Mulcahy covers with the MP he goes to check on Klinger who was already on his way back to post-op With a live grenade in his hand. (laughs) I'm going to show him and everybody else that's nearby. With his finger in the pen. (laughs) Klinger's plan here, guys. Klinger. Klinger. The comedic relief for the entire series. His plan is to blow up Frank and every single wounded soldier in that post-op. I don't know why I'm laughing, because really it's not funny, but I, this is because it would really have been one out thing of if character was, for if he, was carry, if he was carrying a pistol and it's like, I'm going to shoot him in the head, okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, that, he's that's, taking out everybody. Yeah, he's like, oh no, I, I'm in this mash with guns all around. Best thing for me to grab is a, is a grenade. Hey, me and my wife had an argument last week, so I got the nuclear launch codes. 
I'm going to hit her in town later on this evening. It's so stupid. It's dumb. That's the dumbest thing. It doesn't make any sense. It does not fit into Klinger's character. But then Mulcahy talks Klinger out of killing Frank by assuring him that he can keep his bandana. And that's when Klinger, Klinger is like, okay, here's the grenade. Thanks for letting me keep my bandana. Bye, everybody. Thanks. Thanks for his, and, thanks for giving that authority that you do not have. And that's the end of this entire thing. Klinger's not brought up on charges. He <laughs> was just there's having no, a bad day. There's no consequences for him punching the superior officer. And as far as I can think, this red bandana never shows up again. Mm-mm. He was willing to kill somebody for it, but he doesn't wear it ever again. Do you suppose maybe that's why he didn't get sent home? Because he didn't have his lucky bandana on him? If he had worn that bandana in his dress, maybe he would have gotten sent home. I'm sorry. I think that the moment you pull a live grenade out of your pocket going, I'm killing this guy and everybody around me, that's when you get sent home. That's when people go, oh crap, this guy's actually crazy. (laughs) Klinger should not be in this show anymore because of this. And now he's only going to get more appearances. You know, I'm trying to think. We'll we'll see him get angry a couple other times as we navigate through all 467 episodes. You know, when his wife was, when his wife dumped him, he got angry. Um, But this, not like this though. Anybody, anybody that showed this kind of anger has had big consequences. Not clear. Okay, and then we move on to Hawkeye mentioning the nurses and the hard work they put in, which brings him to Margaret, whom he or whom was still being called Hot Lips at the time and still is. And Hawkeye calls her a paradox, and that she is considerably passionate, but also a stickler for military correctness. Hawkeye mentions that Frank and Margaret have become an item ever since they met, and though the two are convinced that nobody else knows, their affair is actually a poorly kept secret. Then he talks about how he and Trapper stopped by Margaret's tent earlier that day and getting her tent ready for a date that evening between Margaret and Frank, and they just completely dismantle the thing. (laughs) So, like, the moment Frank touches the the supporting post, it collapses on top of them. Mm The bed falls apart. I'm surprised. Or they put a trick candle in there, so it won't. Hold on, just a second. I think this just got bumped up to uh, attempted manslaughter. Yeah. They put a trick candle in a canvas tent that will mm-hmm. not will not go out. Then they drop the candle or the canvas tent onto the candle with those two still in it, unable to get out. Should have burned to the ground. If that canvas caught fire, they would die. Uh, oh, and all stuff would burn pretty quick. It's also important to note that uh, they filled Margaret's pillow with pudding, which was pudding. funny. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Later, or that next afternoon, after nearly killing Frank and Margaret, uh, the 407th 7th is preparing to throw a Christmas party for the children from the orphanage. Trappers in pre-op, helping Hawkeye suit up as Santa Claus. And to his excitement, Trapper finds that the mess tent is standing room only with nothing but little kids waiting to see old Saint Nick. While Hawkeye's barely out the door when he's stopped by Henry, there's an infantry squad caught in a heavy crossfire 20 miles away, and a corporal is critically wounded and needs surgery as soon as possible if he's going to make it. And Trapper's ready to volunteer, but Hawkeye is is the main character, so he's chosen to go. And, uh... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> besides that he's got the Santa suit on <laughs> and so they fly out in the chopper to meet this squad remember they're in heavy crossfire here this mm-hmm. helicopter maybe maybe 20 feet above the ground and a Hawkeye slowly repels out of this helicopter for about 5 minutes just swinging wildly in a bright red Santa suit yeah you can't shoot Santa I mean right there's How- your evidence how is he not dead? You can't shoot, shoot old St. Nick. 
you can too. The whole movie, the whole movie, Tim Allen Santa Claus is about killing Saint Nick and then taking his spot. Well, that was in years to come. But can you imagine if a Korean killed Santa Claus and then became oh. Santa Claus? All of our chimneys would be knocked over every single Christmas. <laughs> They'd be flying through the air with their blinker on. This is great. So you're saying. <laughs> so what you're telling me is a North Korean kill Santa Claus and then become Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. Oh. Stockings filled with egg foo young. <laughs> Kim Jong will not be happy. You leave fortune you leave fortune cookies out for Santa every year. <laughs> oh, that's funny. The magical sleigh is built by Honda. <laughs> So, despite the fact that Hawkeye is dressed as Santa, he gets down there, he saves the guy. Yippee, ki yay Back in camp, still partially dressed as Santa, Hawkeye is laying in his bunk, fighting to stay awake long enough to finish his letter to his dad. And then he just lists everybody's name that plays a character on MASH. Oh, by the way, Dad, I'm in a TV show. Jamie Farr is Klinger. William Christopher is Father McKay. Odessa Cleveland is Ginger. The end. Alright, th- apparently this episode has some uh, classic quotes. Let's hear them. From the, the PA system throughout this episode, including... Ah, yes. The Glee Club meets in the mess tent at 0800 hours. The first number on tonight's schedule is... Uh, Father Mulcahy solo, I'm confessing that I love you. <laughs> it's a pretty solid joke. I did like this this next quote, though, made me laugh when I watched it. Due to the number of people bored last Sunday, next Sunday will be canceled. Cancel. <laughs> <laughs> the following men have volunteered for this afternoon's 10-mile physical fitness hike. A reminder that the 4077th Christmas party for the Korean children in the area will be held today at 1400 hours. So everyone turn out to meet the kids. Santa will be there. Or Santa will be there too. We can only hope he's sober. (laughs) (laughs) Shoot. All right. For Mash and Sackcloth, I'm Zach Geiler, and that's Scott Judge, and... Over there on the floor, Stanley. Your day could have been worse. Your day's not better for watching this, or listening to this episode, but it could be worse. For example, on April 8th, 1991, Kitty's Claws, the gossip monger, pounces again. Having already thoroughly shredded Jackie O and Liz Taylor, celebrity biographer Kitty Kelly's claws came out sharper and more lethal than ever when on April 8th, 1991... Simon & Schuster released her ferocious 603-page mauling of former First Lady Nancy Reagan. Among Kelly's more salacious revelations, a dalliance with Frank Sinatra, another of Kelly's biographical subjects, her renowned skills as an actress on the couch, or casting couch, mommy dearest-like thrashings of her daughter Patty, and backbiting about Ronald Reagan's vice president, George H.W. Bush. The meaty morsels Kelly had dished out in the book proved irresistible to the press. Even PBS's stayed McNeil Lahir Hour, or McNeil Larera Hour. What in the world is that? Mm. I don't know, some stupid show on PBS gobbled them right up. As did the New York Times, which published her tidbits right on the front page. Needless to say, the Reagans were not pleased. Nancy and I are truly upset and angry over the total dishonesty of Kitty Kelly and her book. Ronnie wrote to fellow ex-president Richard Nixon, who had sent a message of sympathy. Your letter will help me keep Nancy from worrying herself sick. She is Kelly's main victim and is very upset. Where are my jelly beans? More condolences poured into the Reagan home from other friends and associates, including some whom Kelly listed as sources. A flurry of public denouncements of the book followed. 
I'm listed in the acknowledgments as a contributor. Lou Cannon, author of President Reagan, The Role of a Lifetime, complained to Entertainment Weekly, but she never talked to me. Never. Kelly swatted at least some of the aggrieved sources, or swatted away at least some of the aggrieved sources by gleefully producing their taped interviews. Others she simply ignored. Journalistic integrity aside, what did Kelly care anyway? She had a massive bestseller on her hands with a $3 million plus royalty advance to spend. Plus, there were other celebrities to feast upon. Next up, Britain's royal family, the Bushes, and the almighty Oprah. Hmm. And there you have it. And now you know the rest of the story. I'm Paul Harvey. Nobody understood what I was just doing there, Scott. Mm. Walter Cronkite. Paul Harvey. Yeah. yeah, Walter Cronkite. I'm Paul Harvey. Good. Night. Day. <laughs> oh, all right, man. All right. Good night, everybody. Bye. Goodbye now. Bye. Bye. I, I mean, I love Hasta you. Hasta la vista. Stop Look out for so the Korean Santa Claus. I don't know what we're going to do, but I will say this. The Korean Santa Claus's favorite meal is Ho 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 Main. Listen, if I open a can of soup, you better believe I'm eating it out of that can. I'm not Are you? Dirty. No. Scott, that would blow up in a microwave. I'm not going to put soup on a stove like some kind of 1950s housewife. I'm a modern man. So how are you going to warm it up? In a microwave, in a big bowl. A in big a can- plastic well, yeah, bowl. That's what I'm saying. A big, no, not in a can. I was joking, Scott. Oh. <laughs> but I if I had a can... Okay, what about that? If I had a can of Pepsi, I'm not going to pour the Pepsi into a glass. It's already there. Hmm. It's all about convenience. (laughs) Thank you, Daisy, and you too. Much as a cross. Must have said the color. Clap, clap. Sackful. Must have the clap.